Hello and welcome to Leviathan News. Today is September 21st and we got a bunch of people here today. We got a big round table. So we have the FX protocol team, Ladendow guys, Kamets and Kruger, who are here to talk about the uh, big news that came out with Convex yesterday. And then we also have OX2D, who is going to be telling us about JPEG. So welcome, everybody. Hey, thanks for having us, guys. Great to be here. Yeah. So the big news that we saw, uh, I think it was yesterday or the day before, was that Convex is going to come out and support FXN, the upcoming token for FX protocol. That's pretty big news because Convex has not supported every single protocol that has a VE locking system. It, it really picks and chooses. And you guys are the next one up. That's pretty cool. We were picked and chosen. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> the Kingmaker came. C2TP, the Kingmaker, <laughs> brought his sword out, did that he whole did. like knighting thing. That's right. Said... Each shoulder, one tap on each shoulder. It was uh, um, it, like this is a really big deal for us, obviously, as you guys as you guys know. Um, and it's nice to get that uh, that validation. I think Convex, um, they're one of the first groups to really, I think they're to really like kind of grok what we're after here, like what we're what we're doing with. Uh, with f of x and really kind of get excited about it so really you know we're we're really excited to have them on board and they are uh they're an awesome you know partner to have right like when <laughs> if you're if you're looking for for the best folks to you know have a second set of eyes obviously they've done a lot of diligence looking over our contracts and and everything um you know in the process of doing you know uh, their their integration and so you know, great, great suggestions, and just it gives gives us a lot of uh, extra confidence in our own work too to have them, uh, uh, you know, checking it all out and double checking our work. <laughs> yeah, that's pretty cool. So, for people who are unaware, Convex essentially is a liquid locker where any protocol that has a, a VE locking system, where essentially you lock up governance tokens for a long period of time, anywhere between like a year for something like Balancer, up to four years for say curve or frax or uh i'm not sure about prisma uh but do you guys have any information about the ve locking system that you're going to be using well our, our ve locking system is um very similar to curves uh and, and we utilize it for our other protocols as well concentrator and clever so mm -hmm. it will operate uh very similarly to those like a four-year lock uh with a decay with a linear decay on it uh, and so uh, right now, you know, it's, it's basically just going to be set up for, um, you know, just uh, governance functions. But, you know, FX protocol is so, so flexible that, um, uh, and, you know, it could be utilized to, you know, vote on new tokens to be uh, integrated into the, into the protocol or, you know, boosting features, uh, you know, in some form or fashion. But right now, it's basically just a way to sort of uh, create a, a, a governance process for the protocol. And uh, kind of like you know, spread out sort of that 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 governance attack vector because Aladdin mm -hmm. itself, uh, the the DAO, uh, you know, upfront via, via our tokenomics gets gets thirty percent of those uh, FXN tokens and then locks them, you know, immediately. So Aladdin DAO will always have sort of the the biggest stake in in FXN. <laughs> and and of course, we think a lot about governance, but probably probably the the biggest. Uh... Uh, the biggest aspect for uh, for holders is the revenue share aspect, right? Which, yeah. <laughs> um, FXN has a, a very healthy revenue stream, and the uh, uh, the as as we're deploying now, we're looking at diverting seventy five percent of that revenue stream for distribution to uh, uh, VE FXN token holders. So that's that's cool. kind of the main that's kind of the main thrust. You know, one of the things that we um, one of the reasons we roll out this VE uh, tokenomics is we think that, I mean, obviously there are, are, that's a long discussion about like, is, is VE tokenomics really like, is that a, is that a good thing? Is it the best thing? But I think one of the things that, that it does very well, uh, or at least as, as well as anything that's available is, is help to align your governance with the long-term success of the protocol, right? Like that's, that's the name of the game here is trying to make sure that there's, trying to make sure there's no easy way to make a quick pump and 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 dump from your governance side right you want to make sure everybody's forced to stick around for the long term and then uh, uh, make decisions through that lens yeah I, I think the I think the V system has kind of proven itself at this point I think the the main question that I would have 
is are you guys like iterating or adding anything new? I know that uh, Prisma uh, had recently uh, added a bunch of new stuff. So, I mean, this is co quite a small picture here, mm -hmm. a lot of text, but uh, so they, they added a bunch of like modular governance uh, flexibility. They added some gas optimizations. Uh, any account can maintain multiple locks. Uh, so like locks can be withdrawn. This is one thing that has people oh, yeah, talked about. So they, they're adding a, like a rage quit fee. So like a linear rage quit fee, according to how many like weeks are remaining. Hmm. Um, and then oh, that's very cool. I wasn't aware of that. No, we're, we're, we're deploying a pretty vanilla, um, a pretty vanilla VE system. And then part of the idea here, part of the, um, the reason why the, the convex integration is so critical or is, is such a big deal for us is that we think that a lot of, we think that a lot of that type of functionality can come in at the wrapper level. Mm -hmm. um, obviously not all of it, but, you know, maybe it's a bit of a cop-out. <laughs> <laughs> but, but generally speaking, we, we have this sort of affinity for keeping things as simple and battle-tested as possible at the lowest level, right? Yeah. And especially when you're talking about, um, like, long-duration locking um, and the sort of constraints that puts on you, I think that you know, it, not that we wouldn't con have, have considered those types of changes or, or without making any judgment uh, on them, I would say that there is something to be said for keeping the, the core as sort of svelte as possible. Yeah, I think there are some things. I mean, some of the things in there like are just like basic UX stuff. So they, Prisma's adding this like freeze feature. So you don't mm -hmm. actually have to relock every week. Uh, you can just oh. lock yeah. So like, it's just, it's just small yeah. things like that, yeah. right? Like quality of life stuff. Yeah. 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 Like <laughs> as like one of the things is like a, a, a retail pleb is that if I'm buying CRV and locking it up, I mean, the cost to relock is, you yeah. know, can be significant for me like week to week. Right. So yeah, absolutely. absolutely. I, I'm not, I'm not saying that the, I think, I think the V system as a whole is, is fine. I think there's probably just like, there's probably just nominal improvements that can be made to help with, um, like voting structures, mm -hmm. uh, like some of the issues around voting. I, I mean, really, it's just like contract logic that like for users, uh, I, I think one of the things that I see Prisma doing is that like typically with the V system, you have to zero out your, wait, Garrett, maybe you can help me with this. Um, you have to like zero out your, your votes first and then you can reallocate instead of just reallocating. Is that right? Uh, say that again. Sorry. So, like, if you're it, let's say let's say you have all your your V system delegated, right? And then you have to like clear it out. I mean, it's just I don't know. It's just it's not it's not so important. So, <laughs> um, well, that's cool. Just gotta wait. Yeah. So that's cool. So you, the, I guess you said that Aladdin Dow will maintain uh, a, a a large position within the uh, FXN structure, right? Yeah, so that's mm -hmm. that's like Kmet's mentioned, that's one of the things that so Aladdin now is kind of like the the incubator and the builder, but the idea here is that the things that we spin up are meant to be like they're meant to kind of fly the nest at some point in time. Um so the idea here is when that's part of the reason why we tokenize all of these these products is so that um the idea here is that in the long run Aladdin becomes a sort of um major shareholder, right? like a, a custodian and then obviously all of that governance that for the uh, to Aladdin token allocation, which is locked in perpetuity, um, flows through to the Aladdin token holders. And, and that really helps to minimize the, the governance attack surface area, right? Because we're starting with a, like Aladdin is starting with a huge head start in terms of, um, uh, in terms of, of that governance power. Yeah. Yeah. And what exactly are the, uh, votes going to be used for? Is it is it like new emissions? Or are you going to be paying for liquidity? So, mm -hmm. so ba baseline is baseline is is yeah, just just what you expect. Things like uh, uh, liquidity direction and uh, you know basic sort of community governance. Kmet's talked about potentially uh, you know uh, onboarding different assets. The the thing about um, f of x is f of x is a pretty powerful model like we've started out based in this in this ethereum world and creating these basically these two derivatives these two eth derivatives but really that's that model can be copy pasted to a lot of different assets right um the there's a lot of there's a lot of kind of blue sky um field or, or <laughs> open field uh, kind of uh, space for us to explore here 
And so in the future, I can see that also being like coming in as a, as a governance um, aspect, not just in which tokens that we onboard, but also um, how we support their, uh, their liquidity. And you can see a sort of a, an ecosystem of these types of derivatives um, all flowing through a central point of f of x. And at that point in time, f of x becomes something of an exchange, right? Because you can you can mint and redeem between these uh, between these two tokens, right? Without actually having to go through the liquidity of a dex. So hmm. there's there's um, there's interesting stuff on the horizon that uh, is is still sort of. Um, not really ready to talk about and, and kind of uh, w that we're that we're brewing up, but the the baseline thing to to think about in terms of governance is just what you think the the liquidity direction, that kind of stuff. We will be we will be supporting liquidity, and actually we've already started. Um, we have some uh, secondary liquidity on Curve for both XETH and FETH, which um, which is kind of interesting. I don't know. I don't know what we're. I don't. Um, I don't know exactly how the how that's going to evolve in the future because right now FETH is really um, FETH is farmable on F of X through the the rebalancing pool, which is how we maintain our stability. And so there's a way to earn that staked ETH uh, right on right on F of X. Um, and so we don't actually need a deep secondary liquidity for the functioning, like the basic functioning of the protocol. But having that secondary liquidity helps with composability and, and all that kind of stuff, as you guys know very well. Yeah. So is liquidity more important to uh, incentivize the F of FETH or the XETH? Probably well, the FETH, right? Do you know what? Well, I'll tell you what's funny. You ask 10 people that question <laughs> and half of them are going to tell you one answer and half of them will tell you the other answer. Yeah. You, kind of funny, eh, K-Mets? Yeah, I, I'm, I was like, just kind of like pondering that, that question. Um, it's, yeah, I don't, I don't even know how to answer. I mean, it's, it's a good question. Um, I'd have to think about it, but it's also a lever that we can pull depending on the, on the market condition, right? Like if we see that interest is waning on one side or the other, you know, you can kind of help to, it, it's, it's, it's kind of yet another stability mechanism, right? Where you can kind of direct a little bit more liquidity toward the X side. If you think that the, um, the natural interest in XETH is waning. But that's kind of what I was getting at earlier and that, you know, when we were talking, we pounded the pavement a lot for this protocol, talked to a lot of different people and, and half of them said, yo, the, the utility of FETH makes perfect sense. But I mean, how are you going to convince people to hold XETH in a bad market? Um, and then the other half of the people said, well, XETH makes perfect sense. I'd always buy that. But how are you going to convince people to hold FETH? Yeah. <laughs> uh, well, two things. I mean, if there's a money market for XETH, I think people would hold it. And, yeah, and lend it out, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and you know, people will always want some sort of like stable uh, exposure during during bull markets, right? Even though it may not like seem the most optimal, people always want to have some some cash that they can deploy, right? Yeah, and that that's sure. you're right about that, and that's just um, that's what we've that's what we've what we've seen, and you know, obviously the the market hasn't been amazing <laughs> over the last few weeks any more than it has been, you know. For months before that, but the the breakdown, like the interest in XETH, is is more than sufficient to keep the protocol uh, running happily. It's it's actually it's it's even higher than I uh, than I expected, right? And then the thing is, is that every time you get a, a drop in the price of ETH, you get a huge drop in the price of of XETH. You know, Kmets wrote a cool article about how it's kind of like going back in time. Like you, when when XETH, you know, the price of XETH drops because it's tokenized, you can buy it after the after the drop at the sort of amplified loss. <laughs> And uh, it just makes for a, it makes for a pretty compelling uh, a pretty compelling purchase. Yeah, yeah. So like right now, if you're buying XETH, the implicit leverage that you're getting is three point three, which seems yeah. pretty pretty good. Yeah, and that's at the like that's kind of at the oh. high end. Like we typically yeah. we 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 run up as far as four X during what we call like normal operations, right? Before mm -hmm. we start to try to edge the you know get a little bit more XETH minted. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, uh, and I think that's what happens. I mean, every, every time the XE fraction drops a bit, that, that, that implied leverage that you get, it, it gets even more attractive and, you know, without any kind of funding cost, it's, it's a pretty easy, it's pretty easy to just snap a little bit up, uh, you know, particularly if you've got a long time horizon and you can sit on it. 
Yeah, and I think the the other thing that that goes along with that is, uh, you know, as I said in the article, is like the the as as the price of ETH drops, your purchasing power over XETH increases. Um, so it's almost it it it, it like gives you uh, a larger bang for your buck, you know, if you're if you're an ETH bull. So, um, and then when the and then when the price starts to recover, hopefully, cross your fingers, um, then you know the the increased leverage uh, also helps it recover faster. So, so what would the implicit? Do you know around what the implicit price that you'd be buying XETH at right now? Uh, it should be it, it's uh. It's like 66 cents a token. Yeah. Well, I, it's I, so it's, <laughs> I'm not sure that you can. Well, you, you, know, you I, think, I mean, I was just referring back to that. Kalos's uh, time travel idea. Yeah. yeah. Oh, in terms of idea. what it would be in, in ETH terms. Um, I, I'd have to, you know, that, that actually, I was thinking about that the other day. I was like, that'd be like a cool community uh, booster project is to build a website that showed. Like a calculator. <laughs> so, yeah. That showed like, sort of like what the virtual price, like if you were to buy XETH at, at this leverage and you spun price. up an example in your article though didn't you i did yeah it basically um at the time that i wrote the article the 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 price of of eth was about like 1650 or something like that and if there had been a a 20 percent drop in the price of of eth then the equivalent price of x eth would drop by something like 68 percent mm -hmm. which would be equivalent to going back to uh, december 2020 and buying eth you know in terms of purchasing power <laughs> so kind of an extreme example <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah well and but what's interesting about that is is with that example um and and at the the system parameters at that time um none of the stability mechanisms had been triggered yet so i mean the, the system was still healthy you know and you and it allowed you to to have that uh, increased power to you know uh, purchase ETH derivative so okay uh, so we we do have some people in the audience who like a, a short explanation just to go through FX or FETH and XETH again. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So the idea is that, so the way the, we'll start it with the, the easy one. How do you use it? You bring uh, ETH over, which uh, either ETH or staked ETH. Now behind the scenes, everything in the reserve, a hundred percent of the reserve is staked ETH. Um, and so that answers a, a question that we see as well uh, in chat. Um, but you, you can either bring your staked ETH or you can zap in ETH. And using that ETH, you will then uh, mint either F ETH or X ETH. You can choose which one you can in a combination if you want. Um, F ETH is, F, F stands for fractional ETH. And so the idea is it's very, very, very much like a stable coin. The price of F ETH goes up and down uh, with the price of ETH, but only at 10% of the, of the price movements. So if you bought some F ETH, and then the price of of, X, of um, ETH went up by 10%, the price of your F ETH would go up by 1%. And so that's like the USD uh, net asset value of your F ETH. And so if you were to turn around and redeem that, that F ETH, um, you'd get 1% more in USD value in staked ETH back than you had originally put in. On the other side is the X ETH. That's the leveraged ETH. X is like 2X, 3X leveraged ETH. And if you choose to mint that, then if the price of ETH goes up by, you know, 10%, the price of your X ETH is going to go up by a multiple of that. So like 20 or 30%, depending on what the implicit leverage is. Holding X ETH doesn't cost anything. You don't have to pay any ongoing funding costs, which you would normally have to do if you used a perp to get leveraged. Um, uh, most kinds of perps require that to get leveraged ETH exposure. And that's... That's it. That's how you use it. You just buy and hold these tokens. FETH is, for all intents and purposes, a stablecoin, though it's not pegged to a US dollar. It's pegged to ETH, but it just only moves at a very sort of um, compressed uh, um, uh, amplitude, like a very compressed way. And then the XETH is that, that leveraged version. Behind the scenes, what we're doing is we're taking all that staked ETH and we're putting it into a reserve. And we're forcing the price of the fractional ETH to move at that 10% of the ETH price movements. And then we're taking all the rest of the value in the reserve and, and assigning it to the X ETH. If hopefully this is, hopefully this is clear. So the idea <laughs> is everybody who's holding X ETH is absorbing the volatility that normally would go to the, to the F ETH holders, right? X ETH is like a shield that protects 
uh, F ETH from too much volatility in either direction. If ETH goes up uh, a bit, then F ETH stays constant and X ETH goes up a lot. If ETH goes down a bit, F ETH stays constant, more or less, and X ETH goes down a lot, something like that. Yeah, so, and essentially, like, as the, as the price of ETH goes down, uh, the XETH value has to decline so that more value can go back to the FETH holders. And it's the opposite, where the, if the price of ETH goes up, the FETH pretty much stays relatively uh, where it is, and all that extra value goes to XETH on the other side. Exactly. And, and so the, um, the key here is that FETH and XETH are always redeemable for the staked ETH in the reserve. You can always swap your XETH and your FETH for staked ETH from the reserve. And the amount you get is determined is determined by the net asset value, right? That's that number that's shown in the top right corner of each of those, the blue and the red box there. Mm -hmm. So um, as we as we change the net asset value numbers, it changes how much your token is redeemable for from the reserve. And that's how we control the price of it. Um, so the, the leverage of XETH, I see another question popping up. So the leverage of XETH varies. This is kind of one of yeah. the key things about this protocol. It's the reason why you can, you can come and you can mint either FETH or XETH as you want. There's no, um, in general, you can, you can just kind of jump in anywhere. And, um, in order to do that, we allow the total fraction of FETH and the total fraction of FETH XETH to vary. Right, so there may be if there's a lot of FETH, there will be a smaller amount of XETH, it, it, and so it, it, they don't have to always be equal. And as the fraction of XETH compared to the fraction of FETH varies, it changes the implicit leverage of the XETH, and that kind of makes sense. So imagine, you know, if you had a small amount of XETH that's protecting, absorbing the volatility of a large amount of FETH then you can see it would be really high leverage, right? Because all the volatility from the big chunk of FETH is getting focused onto a small amount of XETH. And, and likewise, you know, if you only had a small amount of XETH and a ton, or sorry, a small amount of FETH and a ton of XETH, you can see that the, the volatility would be really quite low because there's not very much volatility to be absorbed from just a small supply of FETH. Yeah. So the protocol works when there's sort of a, of a something of a balance between the two, but it can vary quite a lot. So like as the price goes down and down and down, the XETH uh, ratio to FETH is going to get smaller as well, too. And then exactly. if it goes below 130 percent, you have these people in the rebalance pool. So like what, what do those people actually do? So, so the, oh, yeah, sorry. Okay, miss, you should take this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So what this is, is this is basically um, a, a method for people that are uh, have minted FETH. They can basically deposit uh, into the rebalance pool. And what the rebalance pool does is it takes um, a portion of the staked ETH uh, emissions that are in the reserve and it sends them to this pool. So people that, that are FETH holders that have deposited it in here, they can basically uh, single-sided stake collect uh, uh, steeth emissions. And so right now, uh, you know, you're, you're looking at about a 4.3% APR uh, in just straight steeth emissions. And um, the, the catch is, if the collateralization collateral reserve ratio gets below 130%, then their uh, FETH gets uh, sent uh, back through the system and it and it's sent back into staked ETH. So they go from being FETH holders to staked ETH holders, and they're no longer collecting those emissions because you have staked ETH now. But <clears throat> that's basically sort of an insurance policy to keep the uh, the the collateral reserve ratio at a, sort of a safe level, and uh, and so. Um, right now, it's if you put it in there, it's um, sort of a, a two-week uh, uh, sort of uh, commitment. And uh, but you know we're we're kind of looking at the system, and we think that because of the sort of the um, uh, uh, the liquidity that's available um, elsewhere, that, that you know we might be able to uh, change those parameters a little bit. So something to keep an eye on, but uh, kind of a cool way to earn uh, stake teeth by single staking your uh, you know basically stable coins. Yeah, it almost acts like the trove system for liquidity. Yeah, yeah, very similar. Totally inspired by that. And and the idea is, you know, in the same way, I mean, I think I think Tetranode famously used that um, stability pool and liquidity to DCA into cheap ETH. Um, and I think that uh, I, I think that that's that's something you can use this for as well, right? Is is swapping in it? And actually, we've got, I mean, in terms of a of a minor alpha leak, we've been brewing up uh, this idea. A lot of people have been talking about. A lot of people we've been talking to have been looking for ways to kind of 
um, automatically deploy into XETH in the case of a, of a price drop. And so we're, we're, we're thinking about rolling out a parallel rebalancing pool that rather than uh, redeeming your uh, FETH just straight into staked ETH from the reserve, we'll actually, we'll actually redeem it and then mint out XETH. So go all the way from 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 FE from the stable to the leveraged XETH, um, and so you know just just uh, something that that uh, that we're that we're cooking up that that will actually be sort of like a supercharged, you know, rather than dollar cost averaging into just ETH, you can dollar cost average into leveraged ETH with yes. in that situation. It's pretty smart. <laughs> yeah, it's basically limit orders. <laughs> That's very, yeah. Although, I, I really like that a lot. Yeah. 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 Do you ever refer to it internally as as um, exit liquidity? Um, <laughs> I play on exit liquidity. <laughs> Bad joke, uh, um, Well, that's cool. Um, so it's really nice to hear about all these updates that are coming for uh, for FX protocol. Um, I might have to buy some. XETH today with it being at 3.3%. Wait, I, I have one more question about that. So the, the leverage is always changing. So if I buy at 3.3% mm -hmm. and then the leverage changes to two, it, that means my leverage has also changed to two as well too, right? That's right. Correct. Everybody gets the uh, everybody gets the same leverage wherever the system is at. I mean, the um, the key thing, and, and this is part of the reason we bang on about the, you know, our, our marketing speak, we bang on about these, these funding costs um, mm -hmm. because you know, the is something that it took me a while to wrap my head around. But the idea, the idea of a like a like a buy and hold token that gives you that leverage that doesn't, there's no like ongoing losses, right? I think we've we've seen some attempts at at like a leveraged ETH token in the past that that didn't really pan out. I think the key is that when you can confidently sit, you know, you can take a long time horizon. Um, and still get that, and still get that leverage exposure. It really changes. I think it opens up the idea of leverage to a different set of participants, if that makes sense. Like, you know, whenever whenever you've got funding costs to contend with, you've got to have a time horizon. So you're not making just a bet on the price change. You're making a bet on the price change and over like how how quickly it's going to happen. Um, yeah. Whereas if you tend to take, like, if you don't know what the price is going to do tomorrow, but you're pretty confident about where it's going to be in, you know, four years, that's, that makes this kind of a, a thing a lot easier to do because you can kind of, you can, you can sit and hold it and you're not going to hemorrhage value onto, onto funding costs or like, you know, arbitrage losses or things like that. Yeah. I mean, from like a risk perspective, uh, like from a, talking about it in like the options you're essentially going long gamma right because like as the um you don't really have you don't have to pay the funding fees right so there's no theta decay uh but you do have this exposure to either like increasing or decreasing your your leverage which is out of your control and so if you think about like in the run-up when you get towards like the top of the market maybe everybody switches over to to uh feth mm -hmm. and then if you're still in xeth at the point then then your your leverage actually goes up and now any sort of like downturn, you're going to be taking more losses mm -hmm, to cover mm -hmm. the FE, um, uh, like balances. Yeah. Yeah. That's, yeah. that's for sure true. And we, we did a lot of look like, I mean, we, we tried to, we're, we tried to sort of mentally figure out, you know, time travel a little bit and imagine how these things are going to work in all these different market conditions. Right. Um, and, and we looked at, you know, what does open interest look like through some of the, crazy you know different market conditions we've seen in the past the 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 conclusion that we've that we've come to and obviously we're we're watching this very carefully as we go along and we can use emissions and liquidity direction to help to soften any kind of you know we can we can make xeth more attractive or feth more attractive as we need to with uh with directing liquidity uh but really what it what it came down to is that there always seems to be some kind of appetite for long eth yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, on your back testing that you did for these two assets, um was there any kind of like magical leverage number where uh or maybe maybe you guys have this internally like a, a magical <laughs> leverage number which kind of signifies oh hey, this is probably a good time to come in and and look at Xeth? I don't think I don't I, well, I mean because it is mean reverting, right? 
Well, we do have like these these stability modes uh, mm -hmm. for the protocol, right? So when the collateral re reserve ratio gets below 130%, you know, all of our sort of our safety stability modules uh, start to engage, um, like the rebalancing pool uh, going in and then, you know, uh, minting and redeeming uh, incentives change. Uh, so basically, if uh, XE hits a, the, the equivalent of basically a leverage level of four, that's when all the safety stability modules kind of start to kick in. Mm. And then, uh, so as far as like what the, what, what's like a healthy, like expectation of sort of what this will be functioning at, um, you know, it, for, for the, you know, it's, we're really early on, uh, but uh, you know, it's looking like it's kind of like at around like two, two and a half, that's sort of like what we've seen normally, but you know, at about four, that's when everything, all the safety modules start to kick in. And, um, uh, so, you know, it, it shouldn't get much more above four, hopefully. So we'll and, and here's, here's the thing. We at Aladdin are, um, super crappy traders, like, <laughs> like 0% of what we are good at is trading. And yes. so, uh, you can just look at my own personal history of buying XETH and know that I don't have any magic number that I know when it's a good time to enter because all the XETH <laughs> that I own was bought at a lower leverage and a much higher price. <laughs> We'll take that into account. Well, <laughs> so basically, um, what you're saying is this is not financial advice, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean, yeah. It, and if it is, it's bad financial advice. Yeah, exactly. For me. <laughs> um, well, cool. Very cool. I, I, I think the last question is, I think we asked this last time, is are you guys just going to be sticking to Steth for the long term or are there, will there be other LSTs that will be added to the like your reserve? Kruger? Oh, sure. Um, the, the answer to that is is uh, definitely eyeing the expansion of the reserve to to multiple LSDs. But we really, um, if anybody's been following the sort of the history of the development, the very first iteration of the white paper we wrote didn't touch LSDs at all. It was it was for pure ETH. And I you know Sam, you and, and others um, had sort of said like, well, you know, why the heck aren't you touching uh, LSDs here? It just seems like a no brainer. And the the reasoning at the time was just, you know, we wanted we wanted this to be hyper decentralized. We wanted to get every sort of nook and cranny of of possible um, centralization risk out of it. Um, we 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 I say softened that stance a little bit because the the um, the the product with staked ETH in the reserve was just too powerful, right? Like it just it just was too good with the rebalancing. But that having been said, we think a lot about. Uh, risk about centralization risk and and stuff like that and so as much as we are absolutely planning to expand the uh, the reserve to more than just staked ETH it's not something we're going to do um, lightly and so it's not something we're imminently rushing to do but we're we're evaluating sort of all of our options there and the long term is yes but we're going to do it carefully right and then uh, also last thing to talk about would be the token that's coming up uh, apparently on 1 p.m. UTC. Just one week, actually. Next, this time next week, yep. um, it's going to be launching, right? You got it. You you bet. That's very cool. Well, anybody who wants to go check it out, you can go to fx.aladdin.club to go check out FX Protocol. And uh, thank you both for coming on. And now we have OX Tutti from JPEG, uh, who's also here to give some updates. So how's it going, Tutti? Hey. Uh, doing much better, uh, I must say. It was a very yeah. stressful summer for us, as we were quite impacted by the curve exploit. But um, the the stress made us stronger, and we yeah we managed to recover uh, most of the funds that were exploited. We also uh, successfully redistributed them to all the holders, and we basically rebooted the protocol um, that was posed until then. So that's really, really awesome uh, to hear, or to, to have done, basically. Uh, I must say, when it all started, I didn't expect uh, we would get to, to those results. Uh, and it's really amazing that we, we have gotten them. Yeah. So like, have you guys like fully relaunched now? Everything's back on track? TVL's grown again? Yeah. So basically, everything is back on track. What happened is um, the PEs was redistributed to all the, the different holders, the LP, uh, the LPers, the one that were holding PEs, the one that were in the JPEG PEs pool. Um, 
the vaults were reopened as well for borrowing. So now you can again borrow uh, at a stable um, APR against PEs or um, ETH, uh, or sorry, or uh, PUSD, and then you can always swap them in their new curve pool. Um, this time it's a CRV wrapped ETH pool, so we avoid any of the possible uh, exploit that was existing then. Um, we also make sure that it's made with the, the new compiler as well, and it's the lightest version of the, the pool. And um, and yeah, so we relaunched, and uh, it was really nice to see that users still trust us as well. Uh, we have stable amount of positions. People are still uh, borrowing both stables, NPEs, and basically leveraging up. And um, the Citadel was also relaunched. And in about four days, we had, again, uh, around 5 million worth of deposits in the Citadel that is now earning 40% yield in ETH which is pretty awesome uh, considering that, yeah, NFTs are usually sitting in wallets doing nothing. And this is the opportunity for people to actually get yield on the value of their NFTs. That's pretty cool. Sweet. So the, the Citadel is the uh, it's auto compounding PUSD 3 CRV, right? And no, the Citadel is also compounding PE Thrapties token. So basically, oh, you get native ETH yield on the, on the value of your NFTs. Oh, that's pretty cool. And it's 14% right now. Wow. Right now, it's 14%. I mean, I'm hoping for it to go back up again uh, as CRV goes back up again. But yeah, right now, it's 14%. Huh. And, uh, and yeah, and one thing that we also did, uh, we also released a new UI. Uh, that came also with UX improvement. So now it's all a bit friendlier, easier to use. Um, yeah. Well, the, um, well, that's great that everything's back on track. I know that the, the those weeks were all very stressful for, for everyone. And, uh, you know, it was really unfortunate how everything played out. But thankfully, I think, what, like 70% of all the funds were recovered? And um, more than that, actually, we um, I, I was we, talking about like uh, the whole like across all the exploits, right? Like it was really just the yeah. CRV, which didn't come back. And yeah, yeah, yeah. Another thing, I think. Yeah. Well, it's it's uh, quite impressive that it can happen now. But uh, but yeah, we got we got lucky. And at the same time, we worked yeah really hard for that. I've. I don't think anyone at the team slept much during those days. <laughs> uh, so did you guys implement any other like uh, security measures going forward? Like, Well, the thing is that this exploit happens on contracts that are completely outside of our control. So mm -hmm. um, there's, not, uh, there's not much that we could have done, right? Uh, we, we already did the most that we could. Um, we uh, basically protected the protocol the most that we could as well. Uh, we didn't end up with too much bad debt. We didn't end up with any uh, assets that got liquidated during that time. So yeah, actually everyone uh, got out of this with the minimal damage if you want. That's really cool. Um, on the like broader NFT market, Things look like they're, I mean, we're deep in, in NFT winter at the moment. I saw yesterday that the transaction volumes for NFTs have been pretty low comparatively, like even lower than the lowest that they were last year. Um, yeah, yeah. So the market is, uh, it's, it's the bear market. That's the, the true NFT bear market, I think, is there. Um, but what we've been seeing is also that um, blue chips like punks uh, have stayed stable. Uh, Milady's have dumped because of all the drama, but they did perform fantastically uh, over summer until now. So there are still collections that are doing good, but generally uh, it's gone down. I think also quite a lot of the big blur farmers burn, burn themselves and probably um, have also stopped uh, um, doing all the trading. But yeah, blue yeah. chips are still blue chips, and this is what we focus on. So, like, what do you think is going to lead the uh, like resurgence back for volumes? 
uh, a new NFT summer, perhaps uh, more utility for NFTs, also interest in those blue chips, uh, aside from the, the board ape and the whole Yuga ecosystem. Um, mm -hmm. I think like punks are still very sought after. Uh, if you discuss with people, there's still assets that people really want to hold and people holding them also don't really want to get rid of them. There was a, a zombie punk that recently got sold for 490 ETH, I think, uh, last week. So there definitely still is a market for that. Um, and, th and then other than that, I, I must say I don't have a crystal ball. I don't know, but, but I truly believe in, in those blue chips assets. I don't see them going anywhere anytime soon. Yeah, so just uh, Zombie Punk 3609 was bought by uh, the other day for 420 ETH or $684,000. So uh, there is still yeah. demand in the market. Yeah. Yeah. He, he could be, or the owner could be earning quite a lot of yield on JPEG if he was <laughs> depositing his zombie, actually. Would be good for well, it. How does that work? So if he had bought it and then added it to JPEG, like what? How can you earn? So basically, there? what we have, um, we have, uh, we've introduced a system of trades multipliers. So mm -hmm. if you have a rare NFTs, we actually value them above the floor, so they get a multiple above the floor um, that you can find in our docs. If my memory serves me well, I think zombies are ten times floor or something like that, oh. and that means that the user can come on JPEG, deposit their NFT, um, lock JPEG tokens again as well, um, corresponding to the value, the extra value that they're going to unlock. And then they can borrow as much as the, the value of their NFT. Uh, they extend their credit limit, basically. Yeah. Yeah, I'm looking at the, the credit limits for the punks right now. And it looks like there's a bunch of, or there's like four or five hoodie punks, which uh, have, I believe, like four, Two 2x the floor, so they get like a, a 96p floor collateral value. Um, yeah, around that. Um, I think like uh, hoodies are the ones that are the highest right now. Yeah, 3x, 3x for the hoodies. Yeah, it's 3x yeah. exactly. So they get so they get 96.6p borrow power now, and they can borrow up to 70% of their loan to value. And they are. I'm looking. Let me pull this. Let me pull this up again. Uh, look at the, I mean, I'm guessing these are power users because all of their health factors are either risky or this guy's sitting at DGen with his, uh, with his visor. With his goggle, yeah. yeah. Yeah, what we've seen actually is that um, our users are pretty sticky. So once they come in, they really use the value of their NFTs to farm and they manage their position extremely well. So they're really trying to extract the maximum value of their NFTs and keeping them at around 20% loan to value. So there's um, there's also like, basically they would get liquidated if their loan to value ratio would get uh, at 70%. percent uh, sorry, if they, they would get liquidated if it goes at 70%, but they only actually get liquidated when it gets to, the liquidation happens when it's at 80%. So mm -hmm. they have a bit of a buffer as well. So they can borrow up to 70%. By the way, Tuti, maybe you can uh, expand a bit about uh, JPEG cards and maybe the SIG uh, cards that uh, give uh, some kind of a twist on that uh, LTV uh, stuff. Yeah, exactly. So if you're, if you're a large holder, um, you can also lock a JPEG SIG card, and that gives you an extra 10% LTV across all your positions. So you can obtain this boost by doing it individually by locking JPEG uh, for one NFT. But if you're a large holder and you actually want to uh, to get even more or to get a bit of an extra security, then you can um, you can lock the the JPEG SIG card and then it goes uh, for all your positions on JPEG, which makes it again ideal for large holders and farmers. That's pretty cool. Uh, so, like, what do you guys have coming next for JPEG? I know that the the exploit probably threw development timelines up in the air, but now that everything's um, back on track, yeah, it it did it did uh, it did require all hands on deck uh, to focus on that. But um, we were also working on this UI update, so this is one thing. There are a couple of uh, extra UX improvements that we want to push as well. Um, we're also still. Uh,
and studying the NFT perp uh, protocol and um, the uh, pool lending service as well. So this is, uh, yeah, we're, we're back at it. So now our focus is back on that now, again, after this. It, it did take us a, about a month to actually go through everything and uh, recover as well, because it was pretty exhausting. Yeah, it's understandable. So like, I feel like JPEG has a lot of competitors in the NFT FI space, uh, but I feel like JPEG is sort of better equipped than most to ride out potentially a long bear market. Are there kind of big plans that you have for like new products to release? Or are you more, more just like cocooning and just trying to wait out the competition? Well, the, the ones that I mentioned are products that we're, we're exploring, right? And we, we really hope to get them out. Um, and there's also obviously the fact that we're in a very lucky position to be a project with a very big treasury. So we can actually ride the bear uh, until the end and uh, keep on building, keep on shipping new products, new services. Um, if anything, I think this um, exploits, um, yeah, basically taught us to be more careful with everything that we do and also to really assess the risk that we expose um, the service and the holders assets to and as well the, the protocols treasury too, because yeah, we we want all, yeah, all token holders also to, to feel that we are defending that. Well, very cool. Glad to see you guys back up on track and uh, good to see that things are going again. So we actually have uh, just time for a couple more stories. The big news of the day uh, is that PayPal has added their PYUSD stablecoin to Venmo. And so hopefully there's more liquidity coming for that on chain. I know that Kerr's been spinning up a bunch of pools for PYUSD, but it really hasn't taken off yet. And PYUSD probably needs more integrations. Seriously, Venmo has uh, added the uh, PYUSD. What does it actually uh, mean? Like, for example, uh, now all Venmo users can send uh, like Mint PYUSD directly from their uh, app. So how does it work? Yeah, yeah. Essentially, like in the Venmo app now, you can uh, like get or like probably deposit or take out um, PYUSD uh, from your account balance. And do they... you know, I'll try again at some point. I tried previously to be able to like buy PYUSD through their UI and send it. And I wasn't able to. And other people I talked to also had trouble doing it. So it's, you know, it's unclear whether it's as easy as they say. Yeah. yeah. Maybe it's just uh, buggy at the beginning, uh, no? Stuff like that. It could well be because uh, I think uh, I actually think it's a it's a huge deal. Like how many people use Venmo? Probably tens of millions, no? Sure, but nobody's really using it yet. There's not a ton of liquidity for PYUSD on chain yet, so I think this is just all groundwork for something that could come on later. Um, we do have some other like more winding down news. Uh, Fuji Finance has announced that they are closing. So they apparently were one of the first borrowing aggregators on Ethereum. And they are shutting down, winding down. Uh, I feel bad. I never heard of it. What is it? Uh, it's. I think it's like, like cross-chain borrowing, but I, I don't know. I, I hadn't heard of it either. But apparently they're shutting down. Uh, they are going to be, um, you have until December 31st to withdraw all the funds from their UI and then the UI will shut down then. That's actually nice that they have the UIs running for another like three months before they actually, um, you know, close the whole thing. Unlike the, the, the nun bot yesterday where they just like wipe the telegram, wipe the discord, shut down the website after an exploit. <laughs> Did we talk about this yesterday? The, the nun exploit, I think it'll be the last thing that we speak about uh, if we haven't. Yeah, so Nun was a Discord trading bot that apparently was pretty popular. I hadn't heard of it, but I think I'd seen it in my Twitter timeline at some point. And apparently they suffered an exploit. They lost all the team tokens. A critical exploit led to the loss of the team tokens. Uh, and then they just nuked the whole thing. 
apparently the founder had claimed to be the son of a billionaire living in Dubai. And they were like, good luck. Thank you very much. We'll see you later. Uh, <laughs> yeah, definitely felt like a rug. So I don't know. We'll see how this one plays out with law enforcement over the next few months. Yeah. Oh, you, do you find advisor, you're saying there's some good comments by, by Tay. Have there been any, did Zach XPT uh, or anybody look at this one? I think it's, uh, I meant the exploit uh, one, like you referred uh, when they said uh, about the rival feeling. Yeah. Notably, notably, they made $670,000 just from the tax of their token. And then they just said goodbye. <laughs> Yeah, it's like it's like a pop-up uh, shop, you know, like a, like a restaurant that pops up for a few weeks and then uh, back. Yeah, very strange. You know, when team tokens magically get exploited and then everything gets wiped, I mean, that's very, very questionable. Not the first time, not the last time, probably. Yeah, exactly. Well, I'm sure Zach XPT might look into it, hopefully, or somebody else. Uh, like we'll see how this one plays out apparently the guy was doxxed so who knows it's not a great look uh the cops will definitely be <laughs> coming to knock at your door yeah if anything i've learned uh it's difficult to hide yeah <laughs> yeah yeah the only way to hide is to like is to deploy and then go like the longer you stay the longer you stay around the easier it is to find you uh it doesn't take that much you know if you just deploy code and then never get you know seen again that's one way but uh you know the more of an uh, online trace that you have you're going to give up your ip or address or something at some point and then you're trackable but that's for another day uh i think we'll wrap up there we're at the top of the hour so everybody that came on camets and kruger and tutti thank you so much for being here Thanks thank for having us. Had a great us. time. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, and uh, I'm. This is all your guys' second time on, so we're gonna have to have you back on in a few months to get further updates. Absolutely, with good news. <laughs> <laughs> and every time I'm in. All right, uh, Garrett Defi Advisor. Also great to see you. You too, sir. It was great. Thanks a lot. And everybody at home who's watching us or at work. Uh, you can go back to work now. <laughs> uh, you can find us on YouTube or Spotify, uh, really anywhere that has podcasts. We are there. Uh, also, come to our Telegram channel. Give us a follow and also Twitter as well. And come uh, see us in New York. Oh, yeah. 20% uh, exactly. of tickets already sold. So What's uh, the date? In, uh, what, what day is it? Let's remind the audience. It's Wednesday of next week, which I believe would be... 27th and where's the event exactly tba you would have to subscribe to our event bright and purchase a ticket in order to find out again tickets are free <laughs> uh, well we will see everybody next week for the big meetup and until then uh we will see you tomorrow for the next stream goodbye folks cheers <laughs>